Hey everybody, welcome to the Climbing Sycamores podcast, uh, where we look at today's topics to get a better view of Christianity. I'm Annie Beagie, and I'm joined by my friends Ben Sadler and Matt Harbach. All right, here we go. Annie, I wanted to know what's on your mind. Yeah, so um, I've been thinking a lot lately, the last few days, about the banning of books that's going on. Mm -hmm. Seems to kind of be happening um, in Texas, and some of the parents are um, raising concerns about having some books banned because they are maybe, you know, they're about sexuality and people who are questioning their sexuality. They're about racism they are about abuse Mm -hmm. um and so some of the parents are wanting these books banned from the library Mm -hmm. not that they're a part of the curriculum Mm -hmm. because they're not but Mm -hmm. just to be banned from the library Mm -hmm. and i guess what what does that mean where do we draw the line on banning Mm -hmm. what does this mean so it's schools and it's parents that want them banned i believe so parents of students that want them banned okay yes I think it's interesting. It's hard to when it comes to actually the school library, uh, different like a public library where obviously I think have anything in a public library. I, I do think once you start going down that road, though, of banning books, um, that's got a really bad track record, you know, of, of different regimes that have done that. The Nazi regime, I think Communist Soviet Union did the same thing where you start banning things that you don't like. Uh, that doesn't fit your uh, agenda. Your agenda, yeah. Um, I wonder if I if I'm a parent in that that you know school district, and my kids start bringing things home, and I'm really concerned about that. I don't know if I'd, I'd be, have a different opinion, but then write. Let's write better books. Um, let's let's combat whatever that is with with the truth. If we think that this is not the truth. I'd be interested to know if, if there was another another viewpoint of some of these things that they're concerned about, would those be allowed to be in the library also? If you had a different viewpoint to talk about some of these issues, maybe from a different viewpoint, would that be welcomed in the library? I don't know. That would be... But, there, yeah, that's that's been an issue. There's been a lot of banning of books, not just with those t- topics, but from both sides. And I, that's just got a bad track record. Why not let the truth out there uh, whatever that is, and if it's not true, over time, people kind of move on. I don't know. What do you think, Matt? I think you make your kids weak. I think... <laughs> I By think, what? By banning? Yeah. I mean, I think you could, even if the book is bad, even if everyone agrees it's bad, even if you say there's really no redeeming value in this, what message are you sending by getting rid of it? Mm. you're going to make the world a less dangerous place for somebody. You can't do that. It makes it makes people very fragile because they haven't had to experience that level of that level of discomfort and or danger and they don't know how to deal with it when it comes. And you got to start with troublesome ideas in I would say a controlled environment, right? Like it right. feels like a school would be a place where that that would probably be a safe environment to touch on dangerous things, you know, because you need to, you have to do that. You need a safe place to try dangerous things, kind of, you know. I've been surprised with some of the books our kids have been reading 
some of the topics that come up in the books that like oh yeah that was in that was in the book i read or yeah i've already heard that before like what um sexuality issues uh uh other violence or um you know just other maybe political issues that were in the books that I was surprised that those topics were even brought up in some of these young adult books. Um, well, hey, they exist. Right. They do exist. And that, I mean, you've talked about that. And I think that's it, it did give an opportunity like, OK, let's talk about this. Why? Why was it in there? What, what do you think about that? It just made me realize how much more engaged as a parent I need to be. And I need to talk more about what's going on and ask more questions and, and be available for it. And it's usually in the car. It, like the car seems to be the place where, where we're both, we're, you know, we have enough time, enough time quiet where, where all of a sudden some of these things kind of bubble out. And I'm like, whoa, I, di- I didn't realize that you were being exposed. Now, how far do you go with that? Um, I'm surprised how much, you know, our kids are exposed to on, on different digital platforms mm-hmm. where, you know, we put enough kind of banning as parents on things and yet they're still exposed to a lot of different ideas. So how do you combat that? I don't know if banning everything is going to work. No, it's critical thinking, I yeah. think. And I think to what you, Matt, said um, about just you can't act as though it, these things don't exist. Like they ha- people have to be exposed to these types of things. But then maybe as a parent or a teacher or whomever, it's really important to teach people how to think critically about mm-hmm. these things and maybe not take what they're reading and seeing as gospel truth. You know, like they have to be able to think and discern and acknowledge that, you know, sexuality exists and abuse exists and racism, these mm-hmm. things exist in our world. And how do we. And how do we get different viewpoints too? I mean, from people who have experienced maybe racism or mm-hmm. or abuse or so. I think that the hard thing too is how do you that conversation and how do people just acknowledge what they think about this? I think that the part that troubles me a little bit is people, different people have different values and different beliefs on these things. And not many people are willing to just say what their beliefs are, what their values are, what they think about this, and then and, and instead try to change people's beliefs or values by not uh, through literature or music or movies or whatever without just saying, this is what I'm hoping to accomplish. Um, and maybe I, I need to do a better job with that, you know, explain to our kids what are our values what do we actually believe is real? What do we actually believe is true? What's good? What's noble? What's pure? And to be honest about those things uh, and then be able to point them out when we encounter differing values and why do people come to different conclusions uh, when they read things or see things or watch things? I don't know. But I, I don't think there's enough transparency on any of the sides of these issues. I think every everybody's kind of playing their own values close to their chest, although they have deep values and then we're trying to convince other people without being transparent. That's true. And I think um, one example is, well, one of the books that's on the band list is The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison. And it was it was a parent complaining that it's making white children feel guilty. Mm-hmm. So these this is obviously like a, you know, they're, they're playing to their own feelings and their own belief system and their own mm-hmm. um, narrative on that complaint um i think it's not a valid complaint but yeah 
so that kind of brings down like what are your values what do you think is true and um and then how can we how can we clarify those values to to our kids and to the next generation i think with a lot of those issues my values hopefully come from god's word that god says all people are created equal that they're made in the image of god that we're created to reflect god but that we do all have sin and and so there's going to be ways that that we all sin and racism is sin and abuse is a sin making other people feel small um and then there's going to be everyone's sexuality is broken at 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 some level and so to be able to talk about what god's good gift of sexuality was um and and how that's been changed and affected by sin so that's hopefully where my values are and hopefully what i've taught our children and hopefully they feel the confidence to come and talk to me when they engage a different value system um, in literature or movies. So, yeah. I think it's a failure as a parent. Okay, thank you. (laughs) Why are you looking at me? I can say that because I have no kids. (laughs) I think if you are talking to the school board, you're, you're essentially blaming school for your kids, like going there and coming back with bad ideas. If you say, no, it's the school's fault. They need to get rid of these books. No, you need to be overseeing what your kids, you know, engaging in the dialogue. Your kids have to be able to trust you and be comfortable talking to you about stuff because you can't, it just, it just feels like you're blaming the school board. Like they're going to ruin your children. It's like better, better odds are you're ruining your children (laughs) or like with video games when you know they blame video violent video games Mm -hmm. you know on on people going on you know killing sprees and whatever and you know is it healthy to be playing these types of games i don't know probably not but should they you know to me it seems like more of a parenting familial Mm -hmm. issue than the game itself yeah i do wonder matt if you, if you are a parent in that situation, you know, you feel helpless and you want to do something about it. Right. And so what is that like? If your kid comes home and they start saying some things, you're like, well, where did they get this from? And you want to do something about mm-hmm. it. Maybe not, maybe that's not the best place to go with it right away. Um, but I, I could, I, I can at least empathize with a parent who, who feels like they're losing their kids and they don't know how to, how to engage you know, get them back because they're being influenced by all these different ideas. It's hard, I think, for a kid to make sense of it too. If you're getting taught a certain set of values at home and then you go to school and you're getting a a different set of values and I'm getting two authority figures, you know, I'm supposed to listen to my teacher on math and science and chemistry. And then all of a sudden some of these social values are different than what I hear at home. Who do I listen to? Uh, and so I can I can empathize with the parent that's like we got to do something about this. Um, I can't. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. Like, it, you know, you you see these ideas and you think, like, that's a scary thing. Like, you know, you feel like my my kid, mm-hmm. right, could really get caught up in that. You think to yourself my kid doesn't know who they are mm-hmm. that could really come and get them mm-hmm. and it's like that could be anything you know sure it's it's it feels it feels a little bit insecure mm-hmm. or something like that like you're not even going to give them the chance i don't know i think kids are more resilient than than you think they are and you can't protect them and i think it's your job to let them 
let them learn these things on their just own. Just hand them, just hand the kids over to Matt, and he'll. he'll I'm fix. great we'll with them. children because <laughs> I let them be themselves. I've had it, it. It's interesting. I've had a couple different experiences with schools. I, I grew up going to a, a Christian school early on. It was a smaller school. I really loved the teachers, but I had a really hard time with my fellow students. I, I just it didn't it didn't work out for me. And then I went to a public school, and I. And I had great teachers and a really actually very good experience in the public schools. But I, as the, as I got into more eighth grade and middle school, I did recognize that, man, I'm hearing things differently at home than what I'm hearing at school. And this was a long time ago, whatever, 25 years ago. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then... And then I went to a Christian high school, and that was really interesting. You know, that you, you do have teachers that had the same values as what, like, my folks did. Um, the other fellow students weren't that much different than the public school in many different ways. I just saw a study that just came out that said, but parents' influence is the strongest d- factor in what kids' values are when, afterwards. It's not. That's it's, good. It's, and it was something like, Christian schools affected the kids. I, I have to look at the study again. It was like, and we could put it in the notes, like 10%. Uh, it was like a 10% difference. Um, but but if their parents took them to church, if their parents influenced them uh, in, you know, at home, their influence, that was the major factor in how the kids looked at the world. So maybe that's just an encouragement to these parents who feel hopeless and helpless when their, their kids are getting exposed to different books that they don't agree with, that they still do have the power to influence their kids. The kids are listening to at home more than we think they are. And I think, I think you can't rely on the school to parent for you. I think that's a huge problem. No, but I do think it. there's more and more values that are being taught in, in everything. Uh, values that are online, values that are at school, values are being taught. And so we just have to be honest that it's not just pure math and reading and arithmetic that you're getting taught at school. Some of the, there are values being taught at school, so you have to point those out and 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 bring them up when when you talk at home. Yeah. And so, do you? That maybe is a question. You know, do you have a place a sh- a place at home, a time at home, a way at home to discuss these things? And like I said, for us, it seems to be the car ride uh, is where a lot of it comes out. So, it's a yeah, but banning I, banning doesn't seem to work. I, I think another thing that we've seen doesn't work is boycotting. Uh, you know, Christians tried to boycott uh, the gay pride parades at, at Disney a while back that had no influence on any of those things. Tried to ban, you know, explicit movies or, or, or horror movies or things like that or, or boycott those. Just this idea that that we have a moral majority or something like that is just not helpful. It's not. It, it doesn't. We're not in the place of strength um, in numbers or anything. And that's just not the way to influence the culture. Is to pick and choose what you don't want to, what you're going to boycott and think that's going to matter. It just it hasn't helped. Well, right. You could simply, as an individual, say. I'm not going to shop at this store, or sure. I'm not going to attend this event, or I'm not going to, you know, support this whatever. But yeah, so you, I mean, you could do a personal boycott, I guess, you know, right. where you just don't support whatever. But it doesn't, it, it keeps you from having a conversation with anybody in the world. Uh, it isolates you from the world. And it doesn't really, if, if the point was to shut these companies down or whatever it is, 
or stop these books from being sold, it never works. And, and it's just not the way to fight the, if you think this is a lie, fight lies with putting out more truth. Um, and that, that's how we can be strong. I think. That's good. Good stuff. Next topic. All right. So I wanted to ask the question, is Christianity for good people or bad people? Uh, is the church for sinners it's for or everybody? Saints? Next question. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. Uh, yeah, I mean, and so that's the easy way to answer that. Um, but who do you really want in your church? Do you is it a place? You know, is it a way I've said it before? Is is it a museum of saints of so people who've you know become Christians, read their Bible, got their life put together? Is it for them? Um. Is it for people who are broken and messed up and, and are looking for hope and healing? Is it for them? Um, is there anybody that should be excluded or should be maybe confronted from either of those groups? And I, I, I think we, you know, the quick answer is for everybody. But is that kind of how it plays out in the world? And I, I wouldn't mind talking a little bit about what it says in Luke 15 about that. But I don't know. What do you guys think? Is it is it is it just a simple answer? It's for everybody, or do you find yourself or others answering that question? Who's the Who's the Christian Church for? Who's really welcomed at the Christian Church? And uh, it, is it more complicated than a quick answer? I don't think it is more complicated. Maybe yeah. maybe I'm just not thinking it, very deeply. It seems like once you get sort of a critical mass and you have a groundwork of culture, it's really hard to shift from that, and so. If if people if people walk in and they see, like in our case, predominantly white Lutherans, who are kind of put together, you know, I I think that I think that does kind of shoo away people who who perceive themselves as outsiders or outcasts, you know, mm-hmm. sort of down and out, and that's mm-hmm. those are some of the people we're trying to reach. But mm-hmm. I feel like I feel like. I don't think we're necessarily doing anything to make them feel unwelcome, but I think people feel un- people might feel unwelcome because it of just that, happens. You know? Yeah, hmm. yeah. I, I think it's an it's a question that is a little more complicated because, and it happened in the in, in time of Jesus. It, it says in the beginning of Luke fifteen that the tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes were gathered around Jesus. And then the religious people who kind of had it, their, their lives put together said, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus told three parables. He told a parable of, of the lost sheep. He says, you know, if a shepherd loses a sheep, won't he leave the 99 and go after the lost sheep? And after he finds it, won't he uh, celebrate and invite everybody over? And, and that's how what happens in heaven when one sinner repents. And then he talks about the lost coin, woman who has bunch of coins and she loses one sweeps the house and when she finds it she invites everybody over and they celebrate i found my last coin and then the third one that we the prodigal son where the son uh younger son says dad i wish you were dead give me your inheritance uh before you're dead and he takes it and runs off and wild living runs away uh just shames in that honor shame culture it's the most shameful thing you could do spends it all then there's a famine has no money left and he decides to go back and has practices i'm so sorry speech and the father welcomes him back his compassion for him throws a party but the older son comes off the t- the back 40 and he gets really mad he he he's refuses to go in 
And it's supposed to kind of point out those Pharisees, the religious people who'd refuse to come to Jesus' party with those sinners. And Jesus, in the parable, the father says, my son, everything I have is yours. Um, and he goes out to him, just like he went out to the younger son. Uh, but I, we had to celebrate and be glad because your son, your brother was lost and now he's found. And I guess, I think the reason that parable is so powerful is, yeah, we can answer it with our mouths, but is there ever a time where we think, oh, that person doesn't belong? And is there ever a time we confront the older brother at church that say, you're not welcome or you need to change for your self-righteousness, thinking you're better than somebody? Do we ever, Jesus spent a lot of time confronting that older brother, uh, the self-righteous one who thinks that because they have their life all tidied up, they, they, they deserve more access to God and the church than others, that kind of entitlement. Um, so I've, I, being a pastor, I think about this a lot, but I don't know, do, do you get, maybe you guys don't see it as complicated. Do you think there's ever a time to rebuke the older brother in us, older brother types? I think, yeah, I think so. I, uh, I don't, I don't know of any instances where Jesus takes the opposite side. There's, um, we just, a couple of weeks ago, we just talked about when Paul says, you know, there's someone among you who's sleeping with his father's wife and mm-hmm. they, you should expel him from the church for a time mm-hmm. because uh, he's unrepentant. Mm-hmm. And so, but it doesn't, I don't, uh, I don't remember any instance of Jesus saying something like that, like we're cutting you off because you're doing this, you're, you don't have your life cleaned up and, and I need you to have a level of your life cleaned up before we want to brand you as one of ours. Yeah. I think the, maybe the one example that I can think of off the top of my head is Matthew 18, where he says, if, if, if your brother sins against you, go, go to him just between the two of you. And if he doesn't listen to you, you know, take another person with you. And if he doesn't listen to, to both of you, then take it to the church. And if he doesn't listen to the church, then treat it as you would an outsider. So that's one exp- So it is that, that unrepentant sin um that's and I guess the reason I wanted to talk about this on this podcast is because maybe there's an assumption with people outside the church, you know, that uh the whole reason we're having this conversation is we don't just want to talk to our people who are inside the church. We like to talk to people who maybe are looking at the church from the outside and maybe have an assumption that I need to clean up my life first before I enter into church. Uh, and so I think we have to address that assumption. Do, so do you think that some people assume you have to be a certain way before you enter into the church? Is there an assumption from the outside? I think so. And I think it's not just a matter of, well, I think, I think we're dealing with two types of people. Some people don't think that there's anything wrong with them. Okay. And so they don't need church or oh. they can't acknowledge that, um, you know, that they're sinful. Mm -hmm. And then there's also, I think people that feel like they do need to kind of get it together. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I've seen a lot of memes going around that just say like church and Jesus are not for like the healthy, like they're Mm -hmm. for the sick or, you know, and and we're all, I guess, you know, sick to a degree. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah. So how do we help people who maybe have that assumption, uh, to let them, is it just being honest about our own weaknesses? Because that's quoting Jesus, you know, I did not come for the healthy, I came from the sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Uh, How do we clarify that message to those who maybe don't, don't, 
think they're worthy to come and receive God's love and forgiveness. What do you think, Matt? I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, because how do we as a church put out a message to people that aren't reading our message? Yeah. I, I don't know. There's there that probably is something that has to happen on an on an individual basis. Right. And it's 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 you putting into practice that Christian living and and wrap everything in Christian love mm-hmm. and that will get people's attention. Mm-hmm. You can't have one without the other. That's good. That's good. Yeah, I think it, it has to be training people to to say this is this is who we are as Christians. We're we're sinners and saints at the same time and to be able to C.S. Lewis has got this great line, you know, love the sinner, hate the sin. How do you do that? Well, you do it every day because you love yourself, even though there's parts of yourself you hate. And so treat other, love your neighbor as yourself. How do you love yourself? You know, every day you're like, man, there's just stuff about me that still needs a lot of work. And that's how you should look at other people. There's probably stuff about everybody else that still needs a lot of work, but you love them like you love yourself. So I, yeah, maybe maybe this podcast can just be help, helpful in us having that kind of culture at our church that individuals will look at people um, the same way they look at themselves. So maybe that's the way to start. I don't know. You have any other thoughts, Annie, on that? No. Okay. <laughs> well, thanks. I, I, that's a big, big, big help for, for me. What do you think, Matt? There was something that was on your mind. Yes. Um, very similar to Annie's topic. Um, but it instead of outright censorship... It's mm-hmm. more of maybe for you personally, or it could be for your kids. Where do you draw the line? And like, you know, I'll just use an example of like an R-rated movie. Mm-hmm. You have to be 17 to watch. Mm-hmm. What is it about the age 17 that makes stuff okay or not okay? I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, well, that's not even legal. That's not that's not a legal matter, I don't mm-hmm. think. But well, no, because you have to be 17 to buy one. Well, and I think to like to go to a theater to watch it. Why is it seventeen and not eighteen? Every eighteen isn't that weird. It's kind of well. <laughs> didn't it start? Wasn't there an NC seventeen rating that was like okay. extra? Sure. Bad? There's there still is. Oh, there is. Okay. When people say like an X rated movie, it's NC seventeen. or N- is it the N? Oh, and I forget what the 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 organization is. There's an organization that that rates movies. Okay. And X is not actually a rating. That's a. We use it as a X. X is a is is just the shorthand version. It's it's NC seventeen. Yeah. What do you think, Matt? But where did seventeen come from? Kind of where we. Yeah, it's like why? Okay, so we we have we just like if there's this much blood, Mm -hmm. if there's this much cursing, if there's Mm -hmm. this much nudity or other explicit content, Mm -hmm. or maybe drug use, it's like. Well, that's only for adults, mm-hmm. and it's like because it's okay. No, well, we, we assume like they are of an age of discernment; they can judge that. And I think so. So, right. So, so that's out there with everything. But I'm I'm thinking more as as Christians and and with Christian media, mm-hmm. and I I won't name the movie, but I'll I'll throw it out there. There's a there's a Tell movie. Tell us what it's about. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a movie. There's a movie. It's, it's it's a Christian movie, and it deals with the topic of divorce, mm-hmm. and it's rated PG, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of like fighting happens. Obviously, mm-hmm. there's a lot going on, and there's nothing explicit in it, 
And I'm not saying there has to be, but I've watched the movie a couple times and it feels like they are purposely shying away Mm -hmm. from anything that would be considered explicit. Mm -hmm. So real. (laughs) And it's not, it doesn't feel real. And it's like, are you saying that in all these shouting matches and all this like pain and anger that you're trying to portray, there's no cussing that ha- like they just like certain words they just never use mm-hmm. or are we trying to say divorce is family friendly because <laughs> mm-hmm. that of course is the complete opposite right. you know and so it's like who's your what even is your audience it's like because the movie has a christian message or it cannot have swearing in it because well christians don't want to go see people swear mm-hmm. but it's okay to see people divorce one another yeah, I think that's a hard thing. I think maybe the concern with language or nudity or is especially if, you know what does that do to your brain and and is obviously um when it comes to divorce in that movie it's picturing it probably is a bad thing or, or it's mm-hmm. always it's not a good thing we try to work work through it as best as we can so that it doesn't happen um but sometimes those other you know nudity and and uh and language how easy is it for us to just grab onto that and replicate it and imitate that or and you know especially men being very visual playing that over in your head over and over again something that that you shouldn't right that that uh you know paul says don't let there be a hint of sexual immorality but it, but it is a hard it's a hard line where do you draw that line i mean even there's some things in the bible that can come across as pretty explicit right um and we trust that you know you can read over that and we don't necessarily put that in the children's curriculum always should we right? ban the bible yeah <laughs> <laughs> so that is a, is it a challenging thing i you know Paul says, I think that's Romans 14, whatever doesn't come from faith is sin. So can you watch whatever this is and say, I'm doing this the glory of God? Like, I'm doing this as as, as entertainment, and it's it's a God-pleasing thing. Can you... Um, this is actually helpful for me. I'm, I'm, learning, I'm learning something that's actually a good thing. I think that's... And, and it's not a clear answer, like... A, a rating like oh, I can do that but I can't do that but I think having some self-awareness like is this is this good for me I don't know well do th- right censoring yourself am I capable of watching this and not having it completely affect mm-hmm. my behavior and my my attitudes my thought process can I still go back to my foundation even though I've seen this and it was entertaining and maybe we watched a fun movie with friends and we enjoy each other's company and these are all good things and right, but can I can I isolate, mm-hmm. you know, that as being that? Mm-hmm. Well, is that the litmus test, or is it what you said? Is everything you do an act of faith, or is it? I mean, think about it. Like going to a baseball game is not necessarily explicit. There might be a bunch of drunk people yelling yeah. mean things, but you don't. It's not like this is worshiping God being in a baseball game. Is that? Well, I think it could, I mean, the enjoyment yeah. piece of it, yeah. maybe not worship, but it is a gift, I think, you know, movies, entertainment, mm-hmm. being with friends, mm-hmm. sporting events. I think this goes to what Pastor Bill preached on 
I, I know it's a, it's a strange topic, but it's in, it's like first Corinthians, uh, like eight through 10, where the topic is brought up of meat sacrifice to idols. And so if I have a friend who says, Hey, let's go to this meat market. Um, and they tell me, Oh, it's meat sacrifice to idols. Uh, and you know, I know we shouldn't do it, but I'm doing it anyways. Well, you have like a conundrum there. Um, it doesn't affect me, but it still seems to affect you. And so Paul ends that whole section, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And so I do think for somebody with maybe a a weak conscience in the sense of they're very sensitive to this and, and it, uh, maybe going to a baseball game isn't a good idea if maybe if the drinking is something that that you know gets you or or maybe if it's because you keep on going and at the expense of your job or the expense of your family um but i do think you can do a, if if you can't say i'm doing this to the glory of god uh then yeah you maybe should question it a little bit because it sounds like paul says you could eat that meat that was sacrificed to an idol to the glory of god because you knew that that idol was nothing and you weren't actually going to the temple to worship that god i guess it's just hard for me to it's hard for me to if if what you're because well the first thing you said was if anything done not done in faith is Mm -hmm. sin Mm -hmm. and it just is hard to say I'm going to this baseball game or I'm going to this R-rated movie, but I'm doing so in faith, you know, like. Well, yeah, if you can discern, I think. It just, it doesn't really seem like an act or a matter of faith to go to an R-rated movie. Like you're tr- trusting God, what, that he, you're not going to die I think in the what, theater? No, I think faith meaning, uh, faith meaning I'm doing it to the glory of God. I'm, I'm doing it as an, as a Christian. Um, I, in good faith, in um, whatever doesn't come from faith. It's, if it's not flow, I think he actually, it's technically says whatever doesn't come from faith, uh, like flowing from your faith, if it's not an expression of faith. You know, I think one of them was uh, when Saving Private Ryan came out, you know, it's an R-rated movie, you know, could you go to that to honor the, the people who fought in that war, um, to learn something about history, to see... As, a, as an expression of, you know, of, of all those things. And yeah, it's still an R-rated movie. I guess that's how I looked at that. And I, I, I but it, it does make the Christian life more challenging, right? You have to, it's a day by day, moment by moment decision. Sometimes we get it right. And sometimes we get it wrong. Um, it, are there times where maybe you go to something, you attend you, you go out to the bars with some friends or, and, and you know, they're going to over drink and maybe you even over drink. Right. And then you like, Oh man, I screwed that up. I, I want to be with my friends. I didn't do it right that time, but maybe I still go out and hang out with them. But then I got to make sure that I'm a little bit better. that I'm a better uh, example as to what I actually believe. Um, but so these decisions I think are moment by moment. I don't think we can give a clear can't go to any of these movies you can go to i think you have to wrestle with them in in a community of believers and and ask questions so so that that um that gives us some direction on engaging with the culture of yeah. the world right but let's say now you're going to be a christian author yeah songwriter yeah or or filmmaker um 
is it wrong for you to put things into your movies that you think could damage other people's consciences? So Emily just went to a Christian movie, uh, Redeeming Love. Uh, it was written based on a book that was written on the story of Hosea, kind of a contemporary version of Hosea. And if you don't know Hosea, Hosea was a prophet that God called to marry a prostitute to kind of show how God was was going after his wayward people um, and how he was faithful even when they were unfaithful to him. And so Hosea was this prophet. Well, this woman, I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but she was kind of a racy writer before she became a Christian, very explicit and, you know, kind of that romance novel kind of genre. And then she became a Christian and now she's still writing. And and I think it's it's pretty, still pretty raw. Emily said the movie was still very raw. I don't think it was glossed over. Um, she's like, there was a lot of, you know, explicit stuff in that movie but i think it was told so so they were trying to be real what really goes on uh but told a story that resembled god and his hope uh that we have in him so i think that's one author who's really trying to to balance that but is that is that okay you're writing something and you know that someone could go there someone could even hear that you're a christian as you they made a movie, so let's say you're a Christian movie maker. They'd be like, oh, well, that person's a Christian. I have full confidence. I'm going to go. I'm going to get something good. Mm-hmm. And they come and they get something bad. Bad being there was swearing in it or... Bad being that it, it damaged their conscience. Yeah. That they left and they said, I can't do that again. That wasn't good for me. Yeah. I, I think that's the hard thing about... That's kind of the conundrum that Paul's talking about is... If me causing me to eat, if me eating this meat sacrifice and I'll cause my brother sin, I'm not going to do that around them. Um, now, the reality is a lot of things that we do might cause... I don't think this author, is she willfully trying to cause people to sin? I think people do have that decision. Um, I think on a personal... If I know somebody personally, like, like let's say they struggle with alcoholism or, or so, something like that, I personally don't want to take them to there, but I can't be responsible for everybody's decision that's out there. I want to do things in, in a clear conscience as best as I can, but I can't be responsible for how everybody takes everything that I do. And what I think, think it's, I think it's knowing your audience too. And, and I mean, when I say that, I mean like, yeah, like if I know I have a friend who struggles with X, Y, or Z, I'm not going to put them in that position Um, also, you know, like there are certain things that I will talk about with certain people that I would not talk about with other people. Um, so yeah, I, I, that's, I don't know. But it, it, it's just, it's different if you publish a bestseller because that's going out everywhere and you don't know who's going to pick it up. I, I, I don't think you can put that on your, your, your own conscience that, that you're responsible for how everybody takes it. That's the risk. Whenever you publish something that you're trying to be helpful, you just have to do the best that you can, and it's part of the risk. That happens with sermons sometimes. Mm -hmm. I say things that I think are helpful, and somebody will write me an email saying, you know, you really hurt my feelings, or you brought things up, or you didn't think about this, or, you know, why did you even bring it? And it triggers some people that I thought, oh, I didn't know, realize that, and I, I apologize, but you can't. You do the best you can. 
you do the best you can. You're not if you're willfully trying to you know mess people up or try to get sales by putting something explicit right. in your movie or book, that's a whole different motivation. But if you're just trying to be accurate on how you tell the story, and that's going to resonate with people, I think too. Like maybe somebody goes to see this movie and there's explicit content because it's because it's real right. because you are, you are trying to depict reality. And maybe they just don't go see one of your movies again or they don't read another one of your books because they don't like that style. Or maybe they flat out disagree and they say that shouldn't be in there as a Christian piece. Mm -hmm. But, you know, again, you did the best that you could and you were trying to depict reality. And sometimes reality is explicit. And if they don't like it, they don't have to Mm -hmm. go back to that. They can, you know, kind of go on the more, you know, white bread path if they want to do that. So what about something that's not, well, okay, so two things. One one is you, you have a problem when you try to say like, well, this this was trying to be, you know, let's, okay, say it's Saving Private Ryan. It's mm-hmm. like, this is a tribute, sure. right? It's not just like a gory slasher film. It's a tribute. Right. And well, Steven Spielberg's really good at what he does mm-hmm. and Tom Hanks and, and all those guys. Okay, that's great. What if someone's not very good at what they do? Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter what they were trying to do because they failed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they were trying to make a tribute and it was completely botched. And now it's mm-hmm. like, you know, and now it's now it's just gratuitous violence. Mm-hmm. And the other and the other thing is, what if you're not trying to make an uplifting story about hope? What if you're just trying to entertain? Mm-hmm. What if you're trying, just trying to write something funny? Game of Thrones. <laughs> what if you're trying to write Game of Thrones? Yeah. Like it's maybe not necessarily, I haven't read it by the way, but it's maybe it's not necessarily trying to be like an allegory for Jesus or anything. It's just right. like, this is an entertaining thing and you can read it if you want. And it's like, oh, but there's some, there's some explicit content there. I do think there's warning in the book of Proverbs. I think it's in chapter three where supposedly probably Solomon is talking to his son and says, guard your heart out of it is the wellspring of life. And so I do, I've watched quite a few dystopian movies and, and things like that. And uh, I, I've seen them and I, I, I see where they're coming from. I have to always tell myself like, wow, that's coming from a place that doesn't have hope in the future. And they're, they're resonate, they're, they have an audience that's resonating with that because they have a worldview that this world is going into chaos and, and maybe it is just entertaining or, but I, but I don't know if any movie or any book that's going to go anywhere is just pure entertainment. Everybody has a, a is trying to say something. Even ones that are just pure entertainment are saying that's all we got is pure entertainment. We we don't have any real meaning behind life. I think everybody is trying to to speak a message when they put art out there, and so I think it's helpful to. Ask yourself, is this true? Is this right? Is this helpful? Uh, does this align with what I believe? And sometimes you still watch it even if you don't align with the be- with its beliefs because you want to see where people are coming from uh, so you can kind of critique it. Um, and then hopefully we can put something better out in, in, in for the culture to see, to, to see some hope. Um, I don't know. You know, the, the questions you're asking now are kind of going down a different rabbit hole, I think, than maybe what you were you start out. Oh no, it's all it's all a good rabbit hole. Okay, that's <laughs> this right. Is, this is what I want to talk about. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. So, what do you think? I don't know. That's yeah. why I'm bringing it it's up. It's tough. And and obviously, I'm. I mean, I'm 
kind of involved in writing and theater mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. And it's like, um, what, how, you know, how, how do you, how do you use these things? Is someone, is someone allowed to say this or that curse word? It's mm-hmm. like, well, it's, gee, it's what their character would do in this scenario. Yeah. But it's like, well, maybe, maybe you shouldn't, maybe you should just shy away from that in general. Mm-hmm. Maybe you should focus, like, maybe, maybe that thing you were going to write, maybe that's a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Maybe you should write something that's going to have a more positive message or is, I don't know. I think when it comes to the message, that's what I'm concerned about more is maybe not the level of cursing or those things, but like what is the overall belief about the world? Um, is there design behind it? Is there a good God that's behind it that's hard to always see, maybe in really a hard, tough situations? Or I think there's been a lot of literature, movies, books that have kind of have this worldview that the world's spinning out of control and the best you can do is just kind of hold on and do what you can because it doesn't mean anything anyways. And I think the underlying value or worldview is um, is much more powerful and maybe, I don't know, dangerous would be the word than how many swear words there are or, or, or how much explicit behaviors in it. Because there can be a movie with no swear words and no explicit language in it or scenes or any of that kind of stuff, but give you the impression that this world is spinning out of control. There's no hope. Uh, we got nothing left. All is lost. I think that is a very dangerous message, especially for young people, because then there's nothing to grab onto. And there could be a really hard, like the story of Louis Zamperini. Uh, I think it's called Unbroken. You know, this this guy who, it's a true story, you know, fought in World War One, uh, gets shot down and then is put in a concentration camp in Japan. It's just abused recklessly, comes back out of that, and it's, it's a really hard life. But there is hope that he could overcome all of that abuse, that there is there is hope to overcome that. There is a hero journey that you can be on. And there was a lot of explicit hard things in that movie, but it gave a message of hope. And I guess I, I, I think that's really at the baseline of reality that there is hope and I would want literature that kind of pushes us towards that hope. And maybe that kind of goes back to the banning of books Mm -hmm. too. You know, like, yes, these explicit things happened. You're reading about them. You're seeing them, but you know, this shows that you can come out, Mm -hmm. you know, with hope on the other side after having suffered these things. And sometimes it's, it's necessary, I think, to be explicit like I said, I don't know, maybe I'm just so much of a realist. I'm like, this It's this is what it is. Mm-hmm. This is, I mean, this exists, you know? And yeah. I don't I, I, I don't think that skirting around it or softening it makes it not exist. Right. Like, I think we have to acknowledge that these are things. I do think there's probably a tasteful way to do some of it. Like, how much do you have to draw things out? Even when it comes to the, the Bible, there's not, there's no description of a crucifixion. It's always and he was crucified. And everybody in the first century knew what that meant. They didn't have to say, and they grabbed one arm, and they stretched his arm out, and they shoved one nail, and then they grabbed the other arm, they stretched, like, is there a, a way that explains some of these really hard things? Do you, how much do you have to experience it? And I guess that maybe that's a, that's artist's license on how much they have to, you know, and the, Mel Gibson thought that you needed to, when he did The Passion of the Christ, that you needed to experience the whole thing and you have two and a half hours of going going through that, you know, 
and historically we know what a what a crucifixion right. was right yeah right. i but i i tend to feel like it's more impactful if i'm mm-hmm. seeing everything yeah yeah i mean i'm gonna push just once more i think yeah oh boy <laughs> here we go <laughs> don't seem too excited um so it sounds like we're willing to accept that a, a a good movie with some bad content or a good a good overall theme or a good overall story that has some explicit content seems to make it more realistic right we've kind of said okay, that's okay mean? and what about a movie that has has poor quality of content also has a lot of explicit content. So entertain just entertainment. Well, maybe that, or maybe just something you completely disagree with. Because in in the first case, it's okay because you're saying, well, those things are real. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like if I if I tell a story about like, oh, I don't okay, slavery, no. and so it's got it's got a lot of physical abuse and maybe some sexual abuse and a lot of cursing in it. And you say, okay, but the overall message is like it's a story of of uh condemning slavery mm-hmm. and so that's good and what if the overall message is also poor mm-hmm. because so what do you have do you have a comparable example to that i'll this, I'll, okay. I'll, th- I'll think here but but the point i'm getting at is is that you're saying the the bad content and the good story is is telling a good message but that's okay because those things exist but the bad story itself also exists and so are you only gonna like go to hopeful and inspiring things even if they have some of this negative stuff or are you going to let yourself experience real downers real stories that have no hope real stories that are written from a a non-christian a flat-out atheistic Mm -hmm. sort of nihilistic worldview that movie itself exists and that's part of the world you live in just like right and the bad Mm -hmm. stuff and the good story if that makes sense Mm -hmm. i think that just takes some self-awareness mm-hmm. that I'm Agreed. watching this Agreed. and I'm going to critique it. I'm going to watch it to critique it. Uh, this is not the story I live in because I feel like the reason those movies are so popular is because they're resonating with a worldview that says that's what it is. I, this, and know, all the more to, reason to watch it. Right? Yeah. But, but if I think it goes back to that weak or strong, if you just came out of that worldview and you're a Christian now, and you have this hope that as bad as it gets, and I don't think inspiring is the word, it's just that idea of hope. That mm-hmm. at the end, there's hope. I, I There's not hopeless. I don't have to give up and take my life or take give up on family or give up on the goals that I have because there is hope at the end. Um, if you came out of a hopeless worldview where it was all up to me to make my mark in the world and and that's all there was, and I probably wouldn't anyways because this world's spinning out of control. And now I have this hope of of, of the storyline of, of the Bible. I might not want to go to that movie because I've already experienced that. I know what it's like. So it still, I think, comes back to knowing your heart, knowing your conscience, knowing is this something I can take on? What? Why am I doing this? Why am I going to this? I think, yes, and I think... I won't name the movie maybe, but there as for as resilient as I think I am personally in able, being able to watch some of these things and take these things in there, there are some movies where I'm like, I'm not watching that again because it is, yeah. you know, yeah. 
so bad and yeah. so hopeless. Yeah. And and that's rare for me, but they for me they do exist. And I just won't watch them again, you yeah. know. So I think it just it I does think. show the power of these stories, right? It shows the power of these stories that we we need to come into it eyes open that this director, this writer is trying to tell a message. Can I pick that message out and understand it and be, and, and, and be able to say, do I believe that or not? Because if we just go on autopilot, we will probably be affected by this story because they're good at what they do more than we think. And I think the explicit language is probably the least of our worries. I, I don't want, I don't want to run around swearing though either or my kids or something, I'm, you know, so that that's, that's me a personal thought maybe puts a wrench in what you're saying. Like, but I'm not, I wouldn't be excited if my kids started just dropping F bombs. Say, Oh, I went to this movie. And now, now I say this now, I would hope that if they saw something in movies or books or anything, we could talk about like, okay, is that, is that how you want to act? Is that how you want to carry yourself? Yeah, cause that's a good, this is a good topic. <laughs> Right. Wow. I, I think we answered all the pro all the questions, right? No, <laughs> that's what we no. do. <laughs> hopefully, well, hopefully like anyone more. listening to this can at least think about get it. something yes. out of it. <laughs> very good. All right. Well, very good, guys. I think I'm done. Same. Okay. Groovy. If you'd like to get a hold of us here at the Climbing Sycamores podcast, feel free to email b sadler at victoryofthelamb.com. B-S-A-D-L-E-R at victoryofthelamb.com If you like today's intro music, it's been brought to you by Andrew Lynch's song, My Name, Hello. Hello.